Welcome back to How They Train. As always, I'm Jack Kelly, and today I'm joined by Sam Laidlow, a man who has been making waves in the triathlon world lately. To a lot of people, I think Sam seemingly came from nowhere to finish eighth at the Ironman World Championships earlier this year, including being at the front of the race for the first five hours. And and then he went on to back it up with a world-class performance at the PTO Canadian Open, which is arguably the next biggest race to, to have happened this year. So two big results in the two biggest races this year isn't bad for a man who, who not many people knew like the name of at the start of the year. And, and while I can't wait to dive into the training that has made that possible and hear all about uh, why Sam has seemingly came from nowhere and, and managed to achieve such big results, what I want to start with is how Sam has taken that form and the confidence he must have got from it and decided to try and make professional triathlon exciting and spectator-friendly by talking a bit of smack to his competitors and putting himself on the line, really, in press conferences, interviews, and on social media. Maybe most notably, including a bit of a, a war of words that got a little heated with fellow pro triathlete Sam Long before the Collins Cup. Sam, I'm, I'm honestly so pumped to have you on. You know that from our private chats, but tell me about what's been going on, mate. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. Um, I was just on the turbo this morning listening to your previous chat with uh, with Sebi, uh, which was a, a good one. And um, no, it's an honour to be uh, to be amongst lots of lots of very great triathletes that have already been on your show um, since the Collins Cup. It's been it's been good. I feel uh, I feel that I got the beating I needed, and it's um, it's really uh, it's really boosted me to uh, kind of redeem myself and put me back in my place. I guess um, yeah, it was quite easy to kind of all, all I, I was quite easy to get confident after some good results I guess and um no I'm certainly I'm certainly enjoying this uh this preparation now into Dallas and Kona let me ask you this Sam when you like decided hey I'm gonna stir the pot a little bit here what was the motivation behind it did you did you do it because you wanted to make triathlon more exciting did you do it because you needed that like bit of fire lit within yourself to 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 get the most out of yourself did you do it just because it was fun take me inside your head yeah I don't, I don't think i'd ask i'd ask myself all them questions to be honest um i'm i'm british and my parents are british originally um so uh obviously sarcasm and banter is quite it's quite a thing and um unfortunately i think this time just uh some people from across the pond didn't didn't maybe didn't maybe get it and uh maybe that's why sam took it so seriously but um I uh, I've been doing it for a while, and I've been tagging already. Uh, Sam and, and even Joe Skipper way way before I was like I think even when I was like ranked three hundredth in the world, mainly because I just thought I was better than them, and I found it unfair deep down. I, I liked a bit of banter, and um, I, I still I still believe that yes. Um, and actually, I, I realized that the, the two times I did I did use this kind of banter. So I did it with Joe Skipper back in Ironman UK last year uh, in the lead up. I kind of there was a fair bit of a uh, social media banter going on there, um, and I think it just like it frustrated him so much that uh, he had a really really good race. And um, and yeah, karma hit me, and then same here again in Collins Cup. Uh, I think we see it in boxing and, and MMA and stuff where I guess um, people try to get into their opponent's head and because it's such because like boxing and MMA is a sport where you need to keep your calm and focus on on the technical aspect of it it kind of it's, it's in their interest to get in their heads and they'll just kind of get angry and uh and overthink it but um I'm I'm still biased as to whether it works in triathlon given the fact that 
I kind of feel if somebody's angry when they just they're just going to push on the pedals harder you know it's not a the technique aspect doesn't really come into play like it does in training and stuff but um not so much uh when you're out on the race course you just have to really suffer uh and they were they were ready to suffer and um no I think uh that's where that's where my mind was yeah leaning into it it was just more of a natural kind of just how I am I like a bit of banter and um it's I just thought it was fun and I think if it was anybody else um I think if it was anybody else on the on, on the start line um they would have probably just given it back and that's kind of what I wanted um Sam took it very differently and that's uh, that's his own choice so yeah I'm really fascinated by this aspect of triathlon because the sports you've mentioned there, MMA and boxing, two sports that are that are you know alongside triathlon, my favourite sports in the world, and and like the whole thing that makes those sports fun and exciting is everything that happens before the fights. It's the fights are almost like the cherry on top of of everything. So they spend so much time promoting the fights by getting the people in the same room and, and making them just talk to each other or asking loaded questions to try and get the guys to, you know, um, initiate some some like words between each other or the, the fighters will actively go out of their way to start fake beef between each other to, to make people interested. And what's really bizarre, and, and I guess as fans of that, we love it. That's what we watch for. And then as fans of triathlon, that's not at all the case. Everyone takes it really seriously and gets like almost takes it personally on behalf of the the athlete that it's happening to. So, I mean, you go and look at your social media comments or any of the comments on the Collins Cup Instagram and everyone's just like taking it so seriously and like having all these goes at you and painting you to be this like really bad person. And it's just so like it's so far from reality and it's like a complete misunderstanding of what's happening like I can't even wrap my head around it I don't understand how they don't like they don't realize oh like this is just entertaining like what do they want they just want boring people that they don't care about you know going out there and racing triathlons that they they don't even watch the live coverage of is that what they want I think it might be it might be a cultural cultural thing um I I guess um it's funny because I actually lean into the Collins Cup and even recently the last PTO events I've been getting on really really well with all the all the Australians and New Zealanders. I mean, I love like Aaron and Ashley and Braden and Hayden. They're just and Kyle. They're just such down to earth people. Who don't take the don't take their job too seriously. You know, they really want to enjoy their life. And um, and I guess like yes, professional. I I I I feel that we all feel that um, professional sport is hard enough as it is without without on top of that like taking it too too seriously. And um, yeah, I guess, I guess uh, I don't know. I kind of feel that some some maybe the Americans they have a more professional approach of it and they want to want to yeah i don't know they want to take it more seriously but um yeah i certainly feel it's it's missing triathlon is missing that kind of excitement and i think the pto the pto are doing a great job of kind of uh, identifying the characters in the sport and um i kind of i kind of feel like lionel has, has done a great job of that he hasn't he hasn't had really any i don't feel he's had any hatred um and he he's just very raw and uh, he's very good on camera which people like uh, and he's also quite quite transparent, which I which I feel is also important. I don't really see, I don't really see any point in in hiding anything. Yeah, yeah, and like all the big sports in the world, why do people really watch them? Like an aspect of it is for the performance on on the actual game day, but a lot of it is personality driven, isn't it? Um, and like we were talking about off air, F one, like a sport that was 
like really a bit of a dying sport is now one of the most popular sports in the world because of a Netflix documentary that highlights the characters and the interplay between the characters inside that sport. But there are certain characters, they just haven't been kind of, uh, the spotlight hasn't been on them. Uh, I feel like uh, Talbot did a great job, like originally when uh, he first went to Conan and started filming Cameron Worth and, and, and that was that was that was great. I mean, I think everybody everybody watched that. And um it's just it's just there are definitely characters. It's just kind of making sure uh, making sure everybody kind of play plays the role, you know. Uh, as to a certain extent I think you need to stay true to who you are, but almost just like caricature your 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 traits and um and that's how how yeah, real um, sporting personalities come come about, I think. Exactly. And that's that's like apart from the fact that you've been putting in some amazing performances that I want to dive into. So it's the main reason I wanted to have you on because I love what you're doing and I love that you realize this and, and like you, I, I, we did a podcast with Tim Reed and Beth McKenzie leading into the Collins cup and we were all pretty negative about the format. And I, like I personally was not at all excited to watch it. Like I did not care at all. And then in the two days leading up to it, you made me invested. You you were the only person that made me care about that event in a t- like at all. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have watched it. I wouldn't have followed it at all. I'd sort of, it was so bad. I was like, oh, I just don't care. Yeah, well, I think Collins Cups, I guess, is a uh, the uh, is a show. You know, that's what they want, and I, I guess they need to they need to choose whether it's okay. We're going to decide it's a real show, and we're going to create this this fake beef. Even though the the beef between me and me and Sam was wasn't faked, even though people people some people thought it was. Um, and um, yeah, they should just like I don't know, really target some some battles, you know, and make both both athletes play the role because at the end of the day, the result in the in the Collins Cup makes uh, well apart from the points in the PTO system, it doesn't it doesn't really bring us anything. Um, I guess it, we should take it more as a show, but. I say that the deep down, I mean losing the, losing the battle was still a real, real tough blow. Obviously, I felt like massively humiliated, and um, my family name is quite is quite one I want to live up to and be proud of. And uh, I guess they certainly weren't after that that performance. So uh, yeah, I want to I want to redeem myself. Yeah, you you said it wasn't fake, and that was like a big question I had because I was interested by it and bought into it, even though a big part of me thought mm, this is fake. Mm-hmm. Can you can you tell me about what actually happened behind the scenes and from your point of view? Uh, yeah, so from my point of view, uh, it started uh, two or three weeks out. PTO PTO asked me to just uh, post a video, like and think outside of the box to say you're excited for the Collins Cup or whatever. And uh, I was on camp with a mate, and we just like decided to do a do a rap. And in that rap, there was uh, we were talking about Sam Long, and uh, yeah, I guess um, from there on, I think I don't know, I can't remember exactly, but he. He blocked me, then unblocked me, and then followed me. Oh, I can't remember which way around it was on social media, and um, like so, I kind of realised that I'd got to his head with it. And um, and then at the press conference, uh, obviously we get so so we actually yeah we didn't know our battles until until we got called up on stage. Um, and at the press conference, I kind of I just had a bit of banter. I said, "Oh, it's nice being, it's nice being called up with two new athletes." And um, and then yeah, the the the, the guy um, asked me to 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 bring up the rap again, and so he, he asked me for a few lines of the rap. And uh, and then after that, so that was kind of all right. But then after that, we had to go into a go into a room, um, all three of us. And um, just kind of sit, sit in, uh, sit like next to each other, and we just got asked questions. And um, I think it, the one, the point where it clicked was uh, I just said to, I said to Sam, like, uh, I think, I think you're taking it too seriously. 
And then he just like flipped a switch and looked at me like he was going to murder me and like stomped off halfway through the interview with the microphone still on him and yeah, and uh, smashed the wall. Yeah. <laughs> true, true story. And so like then, then you guys obviously had the, the race and you lost and that is what it is. What happened after that? Take me, take me into any interaction you two have had since. Um, so we actually, uh, so straight after, straight after that, that interview where he stumped off, um, I, I actually genuinely felt like really bad for him because I didn't, I didn't want, like my goal wasn't for, for him to, to feel badly into the race. So I actually, that, that night I could, uh, I slept pretty badly and I just felt really bad all night. So maybe it was all mind games and in which case he, he, he played it perfectly. Um, but, um, yeah, I just, I just felt bad. And so the next day. As soon as we crossed each other in the corridors, I kind of went up and, and saw him. And uh, then next day, there was um, wasn't a press conference. It was just another um, I can't remember what they called it, but another um, media media commitment. And we uh, he just he just said that yeah, he he changed the person that he didn't want his banter, and he said that he was like basically he was asking for an apology. And uh, so I, I I gave it, and then we 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 had a, a brief chat. And after the race, actually, he was. He was he was fine. He came up to me and uh, and said, "Yeah, I don't know. Just like just I think his exact his exact words were, remember you're still one of the best like athletes in the world, you know.' So uh, maybe it was all it was all mind games, and in which case he played them out perfectly. But I had uh, I had my own issues, and they weren't at all. I mean, maybe I lost a bit of energy and I wasn't fresh, but I uh, I just uh, I listened to Christian Blumenfeld. He told me to take about I don't know six hundred or seven hundred milligrams of caffeine before the race, and it, uh, my stomach didn't." Uh, <laughs> Didn't, didn't take that and I just I was just chucking up all over the place and then I kept having to uh, run to the loo on the on the on the run so um yeah um I have my I, I guess the good thing coming away from the Collins Cup was that I generally didn't um I gen like it's bad when you have a bad result and you start doubting your abilities here I just I just made a, a mistake and I wasn't really I know the training would be good and and even towards the end once I'd like once I'd stopped four or five times I actually ran like the last 3k with Gustav and, and kind of felt all right again even though I was completely empty and uh so I'm I'm still I'm still I'm still confident I can I can beat them and uh, and I hope to do so in Dallas. Yeah. We have to touch on that. So Christian Blumenfeld, the best triathlete in the world right now, comes up to you before the race and says, "Hey Sam, pop 600 to 700 milligrams of caffeine, which is like eight coffees or I don't know how many yeah, red, well, red bulls." I can tell you exactly. It was four, it was four espressos and a Red Bull. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but like a bit one of them big cans of Red Bull, 500 mil or something, and. Uh, <laughs> It might, it might have been whatever shits in red was i don't know but um that was what um that was re- what really got me um and yeah I, I guess the lesson learned is to not listen to anybody even if he's olympic and i'm a world champion how did that conversation between you two come up oh we were just, we were just sat in the lounge in the morning like then he was he was down in espressos like they were like it was water and um and i just kind of like he, I, don't, I don't know he just kind of slowly convinced me that that was that was a solution you know and um me being being young and inexperienced or uh, i guess i yeah i just i just listened to him and i so what i did is i took four espressos a red bull and then on top of that like the usual two caffeine capsules that i was going to take so yeah i think it was about 700 milligrams or something um yeah so that's that was that um and then on top of that i mean the the first half of the race was kind of all right um until obviously after an hour and a half you just kind of run out of fuel um so i couldn't take anything on board um but even even then like i, I kind of felt it was a bit um it was a bit weird because i'd said so the collins cup was just 40k out and 40k back and i'd cycled the 40k out like 
360 watts and my position's pretty it was pretty dialed and um and sam and linewood took back like a minute and a half on me already which i kind of found a bit suspicious and i i i didn't have a single motorbike on that 40k even though i was leading the battle and when i turned around and saw okay them two are working together which is kind of allowed within distance but they also had four motorbikes with them so uh at that point i kind of like held up and just kind of waited finished her finished her bike with them um and then um and then rolled in yeah but um that's uh that's the game and i hope hopefully um we can kind of get some real rules and regulations in, that, in these situations because it's um every race is a different scenario one day it will be the, the front pack that will get the motorbikes the next day it will be whoever the favorite is and yeah it's just uh it's just something that i know uh i think it's race ranger that are working hard on it and uh but even i think the motorbikes will still be still have an impact and i think they still do even in bike racing now to this day definitely something i want to dive into like i'm just going to try and make a mental note of all the things you're saying that i have to come back to but just to stick on this for a second what did christian say to you to make you convinced that you had to take so much caffeine like what was he saying how was he saying it would help you oh um i I don't know christian just literally nothing he just literally said um like he just literally said yeah i mean he was he was taking them kind of quite early on. I think the race was at like two and already at 10, he was starting to take espressos. And I'd generally before a race, I would, uh, I would stop taking caffeine like three or four days prior and then like take it just before the race. And so, um, uh, I was just in the lounge sat with him and Gustav and Magnus, I think. And, um, I was just seeing him like down espressos. And I was like, it's like, do you not, do you not like cut caffeine now or do this? And, um, I was like, nah, you need to, I don't know. You don't know what you, he says. So many things, and you don't know if he's joking or not. If it's just, um, yeah. And uh, he was saying like, yeah, Red Bull's Red Bull's the best. You need to do this and take this much Red Bull. And uh, and so and but then, funny enough, I didn't I didn't actually see like we were in the tent warming up together, and I didn't see him take neither the neither the Red Bull or, or Expressos. I I'd put the Expressos in a little bottle and kind of down them just before the just before the start. And um, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh i don't i don't want to blame it on him because uh <laughs> for, I just, it just might, his stomach might just be made out of something different but um yeah i certainly have a bit of a fragile stomach and that was not not wise it's pretty hard though when the best triathlete in the world who's doing crazy things is saying things like that like it's even if you suspect he might be joking and and fucking with you a little bit a part of you goes but maybe maybe i should try this maybe he's actually just trying to help me here like and you said he says a lot of things and you don't know if he's being serious or not. What are some other kind of things that, that, that come to mind when you say that? Uh, what else did he say? I think he said like uh, we were talking about supplements and multivitamins or whatever and he was saying, uh, no, don't, don't take any, any supplements because then you don't, you don't get any training, ben- you don't get the, the training benefit uh or something like that and uh and i didn't i didn't really question it that one i kind of just i kind of just blanked out um and he said yeah maybe maybe race week you can take you can start taking your supplements again but uh otherwise you want to get training adaptations but don't don't take uh don't take like any i don't know motive if i'm in or or, or i don't know whatever iron or he just said he just said no <laughs> so um but I, I, I didn't listen to that one but that was one of the other ones yeah this is like fascinating mate so these interactions behind the scenes that no one hears about are exactly like this is exactly what I want to get out here on this podcast. Like yeah. that is just a, the like one of the great stories. Um, I'll, I'll tell you more if I can remember them. It's just um, I can't remember what else did he do. If they come to mind, just interrupt me. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'll do that. Have you got anything else like that between you and someone else? Like you and any of the other, the big names in the sport that people care about, like conversations that have happened that, that like people would find really interesting if they, if they were sitting there listening as the third person? Um, yeah, I think, I think that, that there's loads. I mean, uh, the, that's, what's really unique about the, these PTO events is that we're all staying in the same, uh, it won't be the case in Dallas, but, um, both Edmonton and Collins cup, we were just all staying in the same hotel. Uh, and so, yeah, you, you very quickly start talking about, I don't know whether it's, uh, aerodynamics or this or that. And, um, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess like so many people, uh, it's just, it's just great to be a part of it. It's funny because in the Collins cup, I'd brought my, my brother along who's, uh, who's 13 and um so he was just like sat having breakfast with me Blumenfeld and Magnus and Gustav and his coach and it's just like if he not many 13 year olds get an insight like this um so uh but I can't yeah there was nothing I mean I think the Norwegians are quite careful about what they say also Magnus is is quite I'm not I wouldn't say secretive but um he kind of knows what he's doing and he doesn't I feel like he's really I mean, I know for a fact that that guy's like spent, I don't know, gone to the winter, uh, gone to the velodrome like over, over 10 times in the last like few months, you know, so he's really, everybody's all working hard and trying to optimize. And it comes to a point where like physiologically we're, we're all pretty good or, or we're all maximizing that. And it's just like finding the last few, last few percentages. And, um, but that being said, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't generally sit at the table where people spoke too much about triathlon. That's why I ended up with, with Braden or Hayden or, or Carl just talking absolute nonsense about random shit. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess that is the thing with, with being like in a sport that requires so much hard work, isn't it? Sometimes it can be like all consuming and it's what I find fascinating or really interesting about the Norwegians is that from all reports, they literally just live and breathe the sport. Like they don't have girlfriends. They live in training camps 24 seven. They're surrounded by a team. Like their life is triathlon. That was that was really noticeable. Um, I think uh, so. The race was Saturday. There was there was a kind of after party Saturday night, and then there was also another one Sunday night. And um, I kind of noticed that basically all the guys that had won uh, weren't at the after party. Um, that won their battle. Um, I'm not I'm not saying there's nobody that doesn't like let let their hair down, but um, there was a big. I think I remember particularly. Uh, uh when i was talking to me hayden and somebody else and hayden was saying yeah he'd been asked if uh if he'd rather have won the olympic gold but have Kristen's lifestyle or come third and have his lifestyle and uh he said without a shadow of a doubt he'd rather come third and have his lifestyle and uh i don't i don't think um i don't think christian christian is necessarily unhappy i think he, he just generally finds pleasure in in like beating it beating himself up in training and, and suffering and like he just he just enjoys that lifestyle and i think we're all different and we all we all kind of uh thrive off a certain balance and uh luckily for him i mean he doesn't need much i guess um almost in a slightly like uh autistic sense he can just like he can just devote himself purely to that and find satisfaction in that but um it was yeah it was it was actually a question that i was i'd ask myself on the way back um obviously as a as an up-and-coming triathlete and stuff like i'd always had a dream so my dream's always been to, to win kona and kind of nothing else um and obviously like that's pretty that's pretty serious dream in terms of pure performance and i come back coming back from the collins cup even though i'd had a, a terrible race i actually had like a great weekend just meeting so many people you know i mean i was playing pool with crowy or or i don't know just like 
having drinks with with Hayden and Ashley and Aaron or Belinda and there's so there's so many there's so many good moments on them weekends um and I kind of question whether what what it is that I really wanted it's like okay should I should I commit for three years and be and be more like a like a Norwegian and then and then achieve what I want in the sport and then kind of like just I don't know um go back to that balance or is it that balance that's going to bring me to the top um I kind of I kind of feel like I couldn't like I have been more serious with the sport early on in my career and it didn't really do me justice um in terms of performance uh because like I guess to be to be good you need um you need a lot of consistency and to, to have that consistency you need to just like have some kind of general balance that you enjoy you know I can't I can't go away for for six months in, in Sierra Nevada and train like train in the snow for for I mean I, I could like if you told me that that's what I had to do to win I could do it but I just that's not like what's going to keep me happy and uh it's funny because my, my my doctor who's seen like who works with loads of loads of really great athletes around the world and has done um, he also works with yarn and and loads of other he's always said to me like the the only thing he's noticed like from any scene so many different people so many different numbers he said the only the singular thing that like I've seen related to performance is like enjoyment and if you don't you don't enjoy it even if you're the fittest guy on the star line like you're not you're not going to make it and I think I I remember listening to I can't remember if it was a podcast or something when Jan won that last year in, in Kona and he just said like the overwhelming feeling was just like he was happy to be there like he was on the bike like suffering but he was in that precise moment he was just like so grateful and happy to be there and it's um yes yeah, it's it's fast it's fascinating I guess because that's you could be you could I've worked a lot harder and been fitter but come to a race and had nothing in me uh, sometimes you're better you're better just trying to trying to tape, tape it tape it down a bit but you just be happy in yourself so let's dive straight into that when you when you talk about that I guess what I want to try and figure out is is how that practically fits into your training and your life so I think maybe now is a good time to to start talking about what your training looks like and what your lifestyle does currently look like I mean you had that amazing performance at the Ironman World Championships earlier this year that I talked about where you're at the front of the race in a select group and then at, at PTO Canadian Cup like I mean you sort of shaped that race you and you and Alistair and particularly you because because you held on and and, and finished fourth that day in, in like an insane performance with the deepest field we've probably had this year in any race. Um, mm. So let's talk about what it is you actually do and, and how have you gotten so good seemingly out of nowhere, Sam? Yeah, I mean, it, it always seems that way. But um, yeah, I did my first triathlon when I was four. So I guess few few people would have been doing it from an earlier age than I did. Um I mean, I feel like I've I've told this story a bit, so I'll try and I'll try and cut it as short as possible in terms of where I come from. So, like, I was born in the UK, and then I moved to France when I was three. My parents came over here to set up a, a triathlon training camp business, and um, from a very early age, I'd always had like I just heard of Kona and went and like going there and winning. So that was always my dream because we had so many age groupers come through the doors, and so my dad would coach them, my mum would kind of like cook and and basically. Um, take care of the business and um so i as soon as i could i heard about this training school up in foremost so when i was 13 i left home and started training there and then kind of dipped my toe it was kind of the natural process when you're a kid is to go into a short course so i did a bit of short course um actually from a from a, i was quite i grew quite early so i i kind of had a bit of a physical advantage so already at 14 i was 
racing on the French Grand Prix circuit, which um, just a few days ago, I mean, I was watching one and I was like, gee, like, I was, it was mind blowing to think I was 14 and racing against like Ali Brownlee and Gomez. And because my brother's 14 now and it's, it's, um, it just seems ridiculous to me. So, um, it's, it's really put into perspective. So I guess I got a lot of experience very early on. Um, I was in Poissy, which is like the best, the best French Grand Prix team and has been for, for a long time now, most consistent at least. And, um, so same already there from quite an early age, I'd go on camp with them and I'd be training with, Doran Connanx and Aurelien Raphael and, and just lo- loads of loads of really really good short course athletes um I was training in Mont- I, I left Rameau to go to Montpellier so I trained in a French base there for three years with girls like Cassandra Beaugrand and um the basically where the French squad trained Pierre Lecour and um and I kind of got to a point where I remember particularly one race and I was on the start line in the French Grand Prix and I was like um in myself I was just like what the hell are you doing here like I didn't I didn't want to be there from that moment kind of you can't really expect results and um I had a bit I was I was living in a flat on my own and I was just not not really enjoying it and uh I wasn't making any money so I was like depending on my parents to help me like fund this this apartment um and like maybe a little bit of prize money and so I was like this is I felt like I was doing it all wrong and I felt like I was kind of deviating too far away from from this dream I'd kind of lost belief in myself and so I was like okay well what I really want to I want to win Kona and that's been my dream and I need to surround myself with people that also believe in that and make them believe and then slowly like create my own environment and uh, at first I guess the only people that do believe in you are, are your parents and so um I I eventually moved back home uh well I tried to live in Girona for six months but I just ran out of money so moved back home asked my dad to coach me and we said okay um I want to I want to do I want to do long distance and I, and I want to win the world champs it's like okay let's write it down let's let's figure out how how we're going to get there and um we kind of worked our way back in the first year the goal was to was to go I, I was 20 it was to go sub eight in in Barcelona which is a relatively fast course it's not the fastest but that was like a good that would have been a good stepping stone and especially at 20 I mean it's not it's quite it's, nobody does that kind of time at 20 so that was our goal and um I kind of invested so much into that too early on so that was what I was saying before like I was so serious about it and I would um I would just like uh I I think I I, I was really from the short course world my I was really worried about my running so I was like obsessed with my weight and so I like dropped 10 kilos in I don't know about a month and so then started starving myself did like low carb diet and yeah high fat and just try I tried everything under the sun and that year was so up and down I went I went to the UK and broke the British uh, Ironman record on uh, in the UK and then and then after that just had a terrible period up until up until Barcelona I kind of I kind of uh got by and did 804 but I really it wasn't I wasn't I mean I was I was satisfied because I gave 100% but and, and even now looking back it's not it's not a bad time to do when you're a 20 year old um so it, it's always been relatively prog- the progression's always been relatively um stable I would say um I think the biggest jump was probably the start of last year I was like ranked 250th in the world and then I went to an Ironman that they organized in Girona where Cam- Cameron Worth was there and uh, a few other good Spanish athletes were and um, it was just a really hot day and, and me and Cam put a decent amount of time into everybody on the bike and uh, Cam started walking everybody else started walking and so it just became a kind of as long as I, I, I jogged it home the wind would be there and then I, so I started scoring some PTO points and um, then yeah before, we, before I knew it I was like up into I think ranked 35th or something and 
then well, what was the next step? So then where was it? So I went to Bolton. I led that race for, that was like, a, it's quite a tough course. It was a nine hour race. And uh, I led that race for like eight and up. So with 10K to go, I still had like a 10 minute lead over Joe Skipper. And the uh, people on the run course were like, oh, you've, you could have left him a chance, blah, blah, blah. And then next minute I start seeing blurry and fall to the ground. And I think I had 7K to go. And um, I just, obviously that 10 minutes just went like that because I was laying on the ground. And um, I heard like the the lead bike was like, he just called the ambulance and I was like, no, I can't be this close to qualifying for Kona and, and not go. So I kind of like jogged it home uh, and came second there. And that's where I got my spot for, for St. George. Um, and then, then yeah, so leading into St. George this winter, I actually had a sound I had a broken foot. I'm not too sure why I think it was actually like a, wasn't a stress fracture. It was just a general impact that uh, I was doing some plyometric work and just like smashed my foot into the ground. And um, so I really went into St. George with like, uh, I was really underconfident. I'd also just gone to Ironman, Texas two weeks before and had a terrible day. I uh, just felt really bad. I think I was, uh, I, I didn't test positive, but all my family had had COVID. And uh, I think I must have, I must have gone into that race uh, with it. And so, yeah, leading into St. George, I just, I guess, had no expectations. You know, I mean, I was looking at the start line. Uh, when you signed the when you signed the board with all the names on it, I was like, "Geez, how am I, how am I even going to beat one of these guys?" You know, let alone I don't know, let alone come eight. And um, so I guess from that from that moment onwards, it was just everything during the race was a real positive and a, and a surprise. I guess I uh, <laughs> it couldn't have started worse for me. The race I, I dived in, had a massive panic attack, just I don't know, cold or I got bashed, and, and yeah, it never happened to me before. And I kind of slowly made my way back to the front. And um, then, yeah, it was just a really good scenario. Where there was five guys and we were all we were all committed to really working together, you know, within within the regulations. And there was no, nobody was trying to make a surge or anything um, because Alistair Brownie wasn't there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just, and then I guess the run went, went well. I just, the wheels fell off because I didn't have any run mileage in me from, from my broken foot. Um, but I guess, I guess, yeah, the good the positive was that up until 30k i was like still third in the race and um that's that's really what i want to take home is that i don't I, I feel like i'm on the on the right path and uh we just need to stick to it and uh not listen to Blumenfeld telling me to do stupid things and is your dad still coaching you sam yeah yeah so my dad's still coaching me yeah it was it was quite tough at first when i remember first moved back home we uh we i don't know obviously he i had to fit back into the family for a start and then um, on top of that i was i was a man well yeah trying to be a man and um and when i left i was still a kid so um yeah it was it was really difficult at first but i kind of feel like every year it gets better and better and we yeah at the end of the day um he just knows me better than anybody else and i'm not saying necessarily he's that he's the best coach in the world but he's definitely the, the best for me at the moment and uh what's good is that we just do do our thing our own way and um yeah if we like specifically about the training i guess i just i try and live a quite simple life uh, maybe that's what was missing leading into collins cup is that i've been traveling left right center and i, I didn't really have the the usual uh, life that i have here in uh, in the south of france where i just like i don't know it's just the it's i just enjoy uh i don't know having breakfast with my family going training uh, eating good food and seeing friends every now and then um i think that's what that's what i thrive, thrive off at the end of the day that's what i was saying before is that you need to you need to be content 
And so when you may like, I mean, there's so many questions I have to ask with this. I, I might skip some of the more intricate ones and just go with like, you say that your dad might not be the best coach in the world, but he's the best coach for you or the right coach for you right now. Can you talk me through how it works with you two? Like, does your dad coach any other pros? Has he ever? What, like, how do you to form your methodology behind your training? Like, how do you come up with what you're going to do? Is it, what's it based on? Like, yeah. um, what, what does it actually look like? All of that. Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing which I would say separates my dad from anybody else is um, it's just how is the individuality to every every person. Um, I would say now between my dad and me, it's more of a, a collaboration. He's obviously aware that like he's never coached a like a world class athlete up until now, uh, and so it's like I I learn from my experiences, I learn from the training I do, and, and so does he. He's kind of learning at the same time, um, and. and so so i mean he's been coaching for years he's um and his dad was also a coach but um he so originally he comes from a swimming background um an ex-professional swimmer he's got a few like uh, records for crossing the channel and stuff like that and um his um he kind of got sick of swimming so start started uh started triathlon and um from what from what i understand his his uh, philosophy i would say is really just kind of like molding molding the training around each person and what they really want i mean he tra- he coaches uh, about 50 50 age groupers although we're trying to cut it down now because we're getting more and more demand but um, he coaches about 50 age groupers and if he could he would coach like everybody under the sun he just generally he generally really likes helping people um i think a big like obviously there's there's a sports science that there's a sports science aspect of it which is important but it's it's not everything the, the human relationship part of it is is massive and uh, i think that's the athletes that do work with him i think that's why and uh he's that we've had a few actually pros started to ask us and uh this last uh, six months he started working with uh also who just came third in Ironman nice so um yeah i think eventually we would like maybe like to have a have a pro squad um but yeah for the for the the minute it's mostly age groupers would you be able to sort of take me inside it and like give me an idea of what some of your training weeks look like and the actual nuts and bolts of it sam yeah um i guess it's 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 quite it's quite evolving so i could i could tell you what this last kind of year and what's worked for me has been more like um i've been trying to do a a high intense so i I work on a three-day cycle which will be a high intensity day a kind of longer uh, aerobic day and then an easy day um which actually means i don't do that much volume kind of total volume uh, i do i guess my, my workload is, is quite good I, I i don't do many what i call junk miles that i wouldn't go out for uh, on my recovery day i'd either do nothing or or an hour and a half uh like easy bike or, or an hour easy swim or, or 40 minute easy run um nothing else that I, would, I wouldn't i wouldn't double up on on two trainings on, on my easy day um and then the hard day i guess is depending on the race that's approaching um it's probably more lt2 um so we do we do use lactate um but not like we don't use it every every session i kind of we get to a point where you kind of i kind of know, you know if i'm over or not um so yeah some lt2 sessions but like the hard day will be really hard i'll have three three key sessions that day um or if i do have two one and one will be like a, a really long bike and the other one will be will be a run and then the second day is more about 
because you I'll be slightly kind of glycogen depleted from from the previous day is more about um, like working on your your fat metabolism so we'll uh, I won't cut out carbs at all but we'll just work out work on zones where I do kind of burn the most uh, fat so it might be it might be a four hour ride with um I don't know like four times 30 minutes around fat max which is like the zone where I burn the most fat um and yeah and then maybe a long run off of it so um I really I, I've tried in the past to train a lot and that's what I what I used to do when I was in, in, in the short course world is kind of there was really that culture of, of the more you work the better you get and um, it just doesn't work for me I um, I struggle to cope with a, a big training amount um, and actually like almost for me it's like I've noticed I, I'll, I'll be much I perform much better off a 25 hour week than I would do off a, off a 30 plus hour week um, so yeah I kind of I might peak at 27 28 hours on on a, on a training camp um uh but on average maybe i'd say over the year maybe 22 23 i think and that hard day can you give me a few examples of what like some of those hard days might look like do you like have off the top of your head um what actual sessions you're doing on those on that sort of main key hard day yeah so a good example would be um i would so the last hard day i did for instance i woke up to had a did a turbo which uh at the minute was more vo2 based just because um that's kind of what i had to up for the the, the shorter pto events um uh, especially like i don't know whether it's edmonton or dallas where there's lots of tur- there's lots of like turns and you have to come back up to speed quite quite a bit and there's quite a lot of pace variation so um i think that that involved uh it depends the vo2 work and sometimes i'll have like two times 20 30 30s or i'll do something like three to six minute intervals uh at kind of like 110 percent of uh ftp 115 percent of ftp um and then uh like lunchtime or around lunchtime i went swimming there we did uh the main set was five times 400 uh at lt2 so i would swim them that was in short course but i would swim them around 4 30 uh so that was i mean we didn't actually take lactate on that session but um i kind of i, I could feel that i'm um, i'm guessing i wasn't over my threshold um and then in the evening we'd go to the track and do a relatively big track session um i kind of i need to just running for for some reason i i need to build into the session quite a bit so i I can't go straight into LT2, otherwise I don't really uh, re-synthesize the lactate and I have to, uh, so I, I did, the last session I did was 4K, at, sorry, two times 4K at kind of 345K pace, uh, then four times two at uh, 325 km pace and then it was four by one at like 315, 310, which is, more lt2 yeah so we are kind of slowly build to lt2 and then when you get like also by that time you've done i don't know 22 23k with the warm-up so your legs start getting quite tired and so just to clarify this three-day cycle you would repeat a day like that in three days from like so every third day you're doing a day that's sort of that big yeah 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 i would yeah um apart from i guess some days i actually in the winter, I live quite far away from a pool, so if it, if that hard day doesn't fall on the on the, on the days we get access to the pool, I would um I would just do the bike and the and the run. Um, I'm actually I'm at, I'm relatively lucky in the sense that I don't 
like I can kind of put swimming on a side on a side step but I don't have to focus a huge amount on it to to kind of be at the front front pack level swimming uh which is lucky but then on the on the other hand I have to work twice as hard to be anywhere anywhere on the running on the running chart so um yeah I guess that's the the good thing in triathlon is that it, it all equals out somewhere and what are you training for at the moment Sam um I guess I I've got my hopes up on on Kona more than anything uh Dallas is Dallas would be a good race but um it would be quite I think it will really uh it'll be a big advantage for the the short course guys just because how the bike course is um in Edmonton it was quite a hard bike course if not very hard like there was, it was very punchy and you had to have a lot of efforts where you could kind of separate packs here there's uh I think there's eight laps so that's like 16 dead turns which will I kind of and it's dead flat and dead straight so I kind of feel like um in Dallas the the packs will slowly merge and it will just become a kind of run race but um yeah i mean it's, it's it's good to work on your weaknesses and um it will just it will be a good session for kona but um the main goal is is definitely kona um that being said i i i'm also aware it's my first year and that i like i just want to i just want to learn i don't really feel i can i don't feel like i can over prepare from kona when i've never been you know so uh, and i spoke i remember speaking to braden about that and leaning to collins cup i was like he was, he was like yeah you're right i mean you can't you only know what Kona is once you've been. And so uh, I'll just, uh, I'll just take it like, uh, like any other race. And uh, if there's one thing I've noticed actually in both St. George and, and PTO Edmonton, which are like the two, I would say like championship standard races is that there's so people work so hard and invest so much time and energy into that kind of race that um, there's actually a lot of, of blow ups, whether it's mentally, physically, strategically, um but i think people just maybe push a little bit too much or change something in a preparation they wouldn't normally do um so i guess i just like i've noticed in in saint george uh particularly or actually in edmonton as well is like if you go there and have actually a very average race like if you like considering your your numbers if you go there and just have a good race nothing crazy chances are you'll have a good result because uh because I'm not saying that's what you need to win. Like you, you do need a crazy performance to win. But it, for for now, I'd be I'd be happy with uh, yeah. Obviously, if I could get a top top eight in Kona again, I think that would well not again. But I mean, again at World Champs, that would be uh, that would just solidify uh, my 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 journey, I guess. And so, when you look at the guys that you're racing at the moment, like you're a young guy who's coming to the front of a sport at a time where the sport's probably the deepest and strongest it's ever been in the men's side of, of the thing, of things. So like Christian and Gustav and Jan and Alistair and heaps of other guys, Magnus, who you've talked about. When you look at Kona this year, do you think about all of the guys who are there and how the race might play out and what you might have to do to, to be a factor in the race? Or are you just thinking about you and your training and your race? Yes, it's a tough one. Um, we still haven't made that that strategy. I guess my dad. Um, we haven't determined whether I should just do my own race or, or race it. Um, lean into, lean into Saint George. My dad was quite um, was quite careful on the fact that I wasn't allowed to do anything silly on the bike, and there was a few moments where I kind of went against my natural instinct and just like stayed in the pack. And I'm I'm not sure if if it would have changed much to my, to my run. Um, but I, I do feel like there's a few guys who are maybe on the limit in that front group who maybe would have dropped off and that they might've just like, I don't know, even broken mentally, you know? So um, I guess uh, talking about coming back to the, what you're saying about the depth, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, we're really living in a, in a, in a golden era, I guess. Um, I, I feel like in Kona this year, the top 
eight or nine guys will all go under eight, uh, which I think only four people in history have gone under eight hours so far. I mean, this is like, excluding, I don't know, a day when the conditions are absolutely terrible. But I think if, it, if we just have a normal day, uh, we should that should be the case. Because I think in St. George, for instance, the... Um, the predicted time for the for the course was like five to ten minutes slower than Kona, depending on depending on the day. And um, and I came eighth in St George, and I think I was the first guy to to not break eight hours. Um, so, like, I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty sure that we'll see a lot more people in Kona go go sub eight this year. And so, it's funny because yeah, if you look at it on paper, like what you need to do to like go under eight in Kona, it doesn't like it seems very very feasible. So that's why I'm. I'm a bit, I'm a bit biased about how, about how, about the conditions, and I'm sure I'll, people talk about the island like this, this mythical thing, and I'm sure I'll realize it once I'm on Ali Drive running, running and suffering, yeah. And so when you look at those guys, I mean, it might be hard to answer, but who do you see as the favorite to win Kona this year? Uh, I find it very difficult to see somebody beating uh, Christian. Uh, I think. If there was, if there is, to, I, th- I I personally think the, the podium will be Christian, Gustav, Magnus, uh, um, depending uh, depending Magnus or or Gustav. I don't know which way. I mean, obviously one of them three could just have a terrible day, and them chances are pretty high. But I feel that them um, they're the best. They're the best at the moment over the, over that distance, and I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody's come close to some of the performances they've done. Um, I was. I raced Magnus in Texas two weeks before St. George and I kind of, I kind of secretly knew what he was going to do in Roth. Uh, like I, I'd even, I'd even tell my dad that he was going to, even if Fredina finished, I thought that he would beat Fredina. Um, and um, because in, in Texas two weeks before I'd actually, I'd cycled, I'd done much better power than I did in St. George. And I think Magnus rode, seven or eight minutes into me i mean he got a flat so i i I mean i technically came off the bike in front of him but um yeah he he rode a huge amount of time into me and in saint george i had the i had the fastest bike split or me and cam had the fastest bike split and uh uh and i and i rode less wattage so i kind of knew he was on another level on the bike and on top of that in, in texas it was really hot and he he ran like a 240 something marathon 242 i think so, um, yeah, I, I think um, them three are the, are the guys to beat, um, yeah. This is my question for you. I I agree that it seems like Christian might be like not unbeatable but not close, like not far off that on his day. But what you've just been saying about Magnus is exactly what, what I think. Like he's the best cyclist in the sport right now. He's better than Cam Worth in my opinion. Mm. Um, and you just, you've just mentioned Gustav who is – is probably the best 70.3 cyclist in the world, particularly on certain kinds of, of courses. And I just see that that Kona bike course with the climb up to Harvey and the really fast, sometimes technical descent on the way down suiting him. It's just a course that has Gustav's name written all over it. And I don't think Christian can ride with those guys on a course like that. Do you not see a world where Magnus and Gustav just ride away from Christian and and he gets a lot like stuck in no man's land and relies on sitting in on the second group and and Gustav's so far ahead of him that that he can't catch him. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, Christian. Uh, I think he's uh, Christian is super underrated on the bike, uh, and I think I noticed that in, in Collins Cup. 
I mean, his his bike split was was immense to say. Like he 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 rarely attacks. You know, I mean, all the races he's done until now, he's just kind of played it safe because he know he knows he's he's got the run legs. Um, but I I genuinely feel that if he has to follow Gustav, he can. Um, I just think maybe maybe Gustav has been sorry. Uh, Christian's been a bit smarter in in some of the races he's done in in Edmonton. It was it was it was Gustav who brought who brought Christian along with him and uh, and Gustav did all the work and uh, uh but then in, in Collins Cup we kind of just saw uh we saw Christian smash it out of the park on the on the bike. So I don't know, it, it's difficult it's difficult to say, but um I I feel that Magnus, especially yeah on, on the way back when it's really fast, he'll be that's that's what happened in Texas is that I could kind of keep up with him on the on the headwind section, but as soon as he picked up any speed he would just like roll at sixty I don't know 60 odd training whatever it is that he's got on and just like take off and I, there was no chance in hell I could follow and uh I can really feel that in the second half of the bike Magnus will will have the by far the fastest bike split and really uh I don't but and yeah uh, then again like, I don't know the scenario could be could be anything it could hopefully there'll be yeah, ho- hopefully I think the fact that there's no wetsuit I think we'll see a similar situation to what we had in in St. George where me and uh and this time yeah me Daniel Backgard Ali Brownlee uh and a few guys will, will get away on the bike um I, I don't know whether I want to take that many people with me this time um but then equally I don't know I might, I might in in in, a, in my head in my head I I think I should like just stick to my wattage and just like race with somebody and just stick with either Christian or Gustav or or Magnus and just see how long I can hold on but as soon as I put a bib on, I just find it really difficult to not just go at the front and send it. You're like easily, if not the best Ironman sw- swimmer in the world, you're definitely top three or four. Um, and so you're going to be there at the front of the race and Alistair's going to be there with you. Alistair could be, you know, Alistair could be sick and barely have trained in the last three months. He'll still be there with you. We know that. If Alistair hasn't trained, he'll still do the first 60K, like, balls out. Yeah, exactly. Sure. That's my exact question. And he, Alistair destroys himself and races just by being in it because we know how he's going to race. He's an animal. He's going to be at the front of the swim, probably third or fourth um, set of feet in the swim. He'll, as soon as the bike goes... Within the first 10 kilometers, Alistair will be at the front and he'll be hammering 385 watts. And will you, like, as opposed to St. George, where you had a group of five guys working, holding pretty consistent, um, steady wattage that you could all, like, none of you got dropped in the, the 180K, that, that's just no chance to happen if Alistair's there. Someone's getting dropped. He's going to be doing some crazy wattage. He just, I think at this point, we, we, he, I just don't think he's going to change the way he races. So, that's going to change that dynamic of the front group. And like, will you be able to not let yourself, you know, will, will you be able to let Alistair go away or will you get caught up in the surge game and potentially wreck your race? Or yeah, I'm, I'm really fascinated because you're going to be in that situation. I generally don't know either. You, you're going to be in that situation though, aren't you? Like that's a fact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm not, I can't, I can't say if Alistair's gonna, is gonna race like he, like he usually does or not, but, um, I, I can't picture any other moments where he, he hasn't, but, um, equally like, yeah, when it's the championship level, like, and the density is so high, it's, it's quite hard to just get away and it can really, it can really bite you back like later on down the line. And, uh, I know that for me, like in, in St. George, I technically I came out first of the war, but I had a, 
had a shit show trying to open, get my wetsuit off. And so like, I set off actually behind, I set, I came out of transition behind David McNamee, who, who didn't get that front pack. And I, yeah, I had to set off at like 380 watts to, to catch that, that front pack. And, uh, that definitely costs you later on down the line. And, um, and it was the same in, in Edmonton. It's like, if you decide to race purely as a time trial and make like go as fast as possible from A to B, then, uh then i would have raced edmonton completely differently but that being said if i didn't have if i didn't have raced the way i did i probably wouldn't have broken so many itu guys and they probably would have outran me and gone even faster again so uh because like if you looked at Ed- there was a four there was a four loop bike course in edmonton it was like first that we have first 30 minutes we averaged 400 watts then 360 then 330 and then 300 you know so it was like how not to pace a how not to pace a race um but somebody who comes from behind like lionel can can have a much steadier power which is actually it's almost an advantage but because we're kind of the ones who are controlling the race in the sense that we're the guys who are trying to break other people and for me who's not i'm not the the strongest runner in the field i knew that i had to just like hurt the guys on the bike and it it, it worked because we were we were all on the run and like none of us were running fast at all like i mean i was so i i started cramping and then like kind of stopped and stretched it out and i was like okay i'm just gonna I'm just going to run at Ironman pace kind of and see, see where it gets me. And I set off again at like 345, 350 kilometer pace. And I was, and after like 5k of that, I was, I was still fifth. So I was like, uh, well, nobody's running fast actually. And then I kind of picked it up, but, um, I kind of feel if I'd, if I'd paced it evenly on the bike, I would have come into T2 with probably a lot more guys. And, um, in the lead up to Kona, are you going to, you know, continue on this, this theme of, of making the sport exciting and, and and making yourself loved by some and hated by others by talking a bit of shit to someone and starting a little bit of beef. Yeah, I just need to pick my targets uh, targets a bit better. I need to uh, I need to I need to do it with people that give it back also and that don't take it too seriously, as I said. But um, more than anything, I'll just uh, I'll just keep it myself and I won't I won't overthink it. It was quite um, it was actually quite difficult for me, like uh, the Collins Cup. I think I. I learned a lot of things like when I was growing up, I just presumed that you just had to like swim, bike and run and win races. And that was all of it. And uh, now I'm slowly realizing that there's, there's so much more to a professional career. And, uh, but that's, that's also a choice. You know, I want to eventually like, I want to, I want to be proud of, of, of my career, not just for the results, but for everything else. And I want people to remember my name. And I guess to do that, you have to have something more than just like, your your physical ability i guess um and we we i think like you could quickly let's say i think i feel like you could quickly forget somebody who's won kona but somebody's got an amazing personality and who's who's tried so hard to win kona and like who's even if he's come third like i don't know three times chances are you're probably going to remember him you know and uh so yeah that's that's where i want to that's i just want to keep it in myself basically well, do more, will more people, when it's said and done, remember Lionel Sanders, or will they remember Frederick Van Leer? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, that's what I mean. There's so there's so many guys, and I, I mean, it's just I'm not saying one's worse than the other. They've, they've clearly chosen what they want, and um, um, but yeah, I I just want to, I don't know. I feel that triathlon is quite a small, like it's quite a small world, obviously, and uh, I want to find a way eventually of, of being bigger than the sport itself and I, I, i'm not I'm, I'm not i'm not at all at that level yet of performance or of maturity to, to do that but um that's that's eventually my my dream goal more than more than winning kona i guess so should we have a little chat about it now like about who we're going to target leading into to kona <laughs> um, should we throw some names around well I, i'm not i'm not sure but i'm, I'm pretty sure joe has he's not going to even show up no joe can't afford it 
Yeah, so I, I I can offer him. I've got a spare room in my mansion, so uh, he can he can happily stay. Uh, we may have to we may have to organise some commission if he so I, he can stay for free, but then I take commission on his on his prize money. Um, uh, no, I mean I don't know. I'd like to, I, I'd I'd like to take some banter with with guys like Camworth and stuff, but they're just I, I I like him too much, and he he likes me too much, so we wouldn't we can't we can't we can't go there. Um, I'm trying to think, I'll, I'll I'll think of it, and it'll be it'll be out on social media soon. Yeah. Okay, I'll uh, I'll follow co- closely. But can, can I throw? maybe one name up and and like can we make a deal that like no matter what you give them a little bit of something all right yeah definitely patrick lang okay <laughs> but the problem is like i it, it, he'll yeah okay all right he'll yeah, yeah. he'll never hear this patrick doesn't listen to how they train i don't think <laughs> yeah but i i went i went i went like i was training with him leading into the collins cup you know so it was uh he he actually told me to like we were coming back to the strategy in Kona. He was like, "Whatever you do, don't go out too hard." And blah blah blah. And it's like, "Oh, I don't know what to do. I've got like, I've got a world champ telling a two-time world champ telling me this, and then my instincts telling me this." So, yeah, we'll yeah. see. Well, I know he won't expect it. That'll make it even funner. <laughs> yeah. <for laughs> sure. Now, now people people know his stage because of the podcast. Right. Well, yeah. Maybe we can go back and edit it, and we'll make it seem like you actually have real beef with Patrick. Okay. Like just just say you hate him now, and I'll I'll go back and just cut out everything, and it just like will cut to you saying I hate Patrick Lang. <laughs> can the jerk? Can the Germans take sarcasm and, uh, <laughs> and bad stuff? Well, I don't know. They are pretty serious by nature. The Germans aren't they? Yeah. 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 Maybe you need a target an Australian. Cam would appreciate it, even if you like Cam and he likes you. He would just find it fun. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I'm gonna go for Cam. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna absolutely hammer him now on Instagram. I wish we don't really have anyone else. You could go after Apo. Sam Appleton, he would find it funny too. He's the only real other big Australian who'll be racing Kona. Oh, but apart from sharing sharing a McDonald's after Edmonton with him, I, I don't I don't know him that well. But um, yeah, sure. I think any Australian would take it take it fine. I could do it with Kyle as well. But yeah, yeah we'll Kyle, see. Kyle would like it too much. That's the problem. It's sort of pointless. He he would just get involved. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's uh, that that's like I've been wanting to have this chat for ages, Sam. And yeah, I just I just find you probably the most entertaining person in triathlon right now and and like the little platform i can give you i really wanted to give you i think more people should should know your name if, if they don't know who you are and uh, like should start following your instagram and get around you because yeah i truly believe that that you're the guy who's going to make triathlon interesting over the next few years i think you're a hell of a talent who works really hard and and will be at the front of the race at uh, the front of big races but more than that you're going to make the sport fun to follow and so yeah i can't wait to get you back on the show a few times and and continue to talk about about you know everything you're doing in the sport that makes it fun for me to watch and yeah i hope other people start appreciate appreciating that for for what it really is and and follow along your journey so you're making me blush now so uh when i need to ne- next time it needs to be le- ne- uh, less compliments when we uh when we have our next chat well we can have beef on the next chat maybe Right, perfect. All right. All right. You can, yeah, you you can start, you can start, uh, start beef between between the How They Train podcast and me if you want. Yeah, and yeah. I'll, I'll play the. I'll um <laughs> I'll send Sam Long an Instagram message and offer him five hundred bucks to be on my side. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, thanks again all for right. coming on. We'll have a we'll have a chat sometime after Kona or something, and 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 when we've seen how it all plays out. And yeah, I really appreciate your time. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Jack. See ya. See you, mate. Bye.